You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host, and this podcast is brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Today, we are going to be talking with the gentleman who lives in southwest Missouri. His name is Matt Sherman, and uh, this is a straight-up hunter-profile podcast with a little dash of bullshit, um, as we always do around here. So uh, it's a pretty pretty interesting podcast. He talks about how he got into hunting, Talks about uh, we talk a little bit about uh, his strategy in uh, that part of the you know that part of the state what i find interesting is how the rut hits in different places uh in the united states right in the midwest we always are focused on uh that first two weeks in november and he even talks about you know the first two weeks in november now uh my uncle down in southeast kansas he says that you know it's like that that week where he where he hunts it's that week before Thanksgiving uh, is his favorite time to hunt down there. And then you got the guys like that live in Alabama or some of the southern states where it, it creeps into December and even January. And uh, I find that really interesting. You know, just the, 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 the variety of places and times that uh, when and where the rut hits, if that makes sense. So... Uh, really cool podcast today uh, with Matt Sherman of Southwest Missouri. Um, we talk about a whole bunch of different things, just like we always do, right? It's, you know, straight shooting from the hip. But before we get into today's podcast, we have to talk about Lone Wolf Tree Stands, right? You need to go to LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com and you need to check out their gear right you need to check out the assault you need to check out the alpha you need to check out their climber you need to check out their sticks right just a ton of badass equipment uh designed for the mobile hunter right it's they're awesome products and um, if you are the kind of person who is interested in becoming a mobile hunter you need to take a look at lone wolf tree stands you also um obviously if you are already a mobile hunter and you want some more then you can take advantage of the discount code right and that's 9fc50 and you can save $50 off all orders over what is it over 200 bucks so uh, that's lonewolfhuntingproducts.com you guys know I'm a huge fan of mobile hunting lone wolf allows you to be a mobile 
hunter and uh, they got some badass equipment that backs that up lonewolfhuntingproducts.com discount code 9fc50 save $50 off of all orders over 200 bucks so there's that enough of the whoring out enough of the chit chat let's get into today's podcast with matt sherman mr matt sherman how the hell are you i'm doing pretty good how are you dan can't complain man i tell you what uh, I had a kind of an oh shit moment last night uh, with all this, you know, snow that we've had and then the thaw and then the freeze and thaw and freeze. All this ice has stacked up in my kind of my back window of my house uh, at the I kind of have a like a split foyer house. So the basement windows are right at ground level and the ice is right at the bottom of the window and it started raining last night so i got leakage in my window i thought man if it goes any higher i'm gonna be in a world of hurt with all this water coming into the house and luckily i dodged a bullet and only had a couple wet blankets but uh man this this weather is just crazy and destroying everything lately it has been insane here here in missouri we had uh like 50 mile an hour winds this last Saturday and I got a buddy that owns a couple of rental properties and it was like ripping shingles off the top of it and stuff so yeah, yeah. it's been doing some crazy stuff did what was uh you're from northern Missouri uh south southwest okay uh, southwest a little town called Lebanon okay Lebanon uh did you guys get snow down there this year uh we, we got a little bit nothing that really accumulated Gotcha. Well, no, I take that back. We got we got one dusting um, in January that was actually probably about three inches deep. And uh, I always, like, those are magical moments for me because I love to scout in the snow. We don't get a whole lot of that down here. And it's it feels almost like cheating because the side just really glows at you. So uh, right. we got one, one probably good spell of three inches, and that was really it. We get a lot of uh, uh, dusting, so to speak, but nothing that ever sticks. Yeah. That's nuts, man. Because um, I know I know Southern Missouri is not Alabama, but I, I tell the story all the time when it comes to weather. That man, it it got to like thirty five degrees, you know, thirty four degrees down there one day. It snowed, and the snow just kind of sat on, you know, just real slow to melt. And they closed down school for two whole days because <laughs> because of just some flurries. And you know, up here this year, you know, my daughter's waiting at the school bus at. Uh, you know, 10 degrees and there's, you know, six, eight inches of snow on the ground. So it's just funny how different part and, and the people in Minnesota and Wisconsin, they're making fun of me because they get that every week in Minnesota. (laughs) Right. We had a, uh, they canceled school down here one day because of how cold it was. There was no snow or ice or anything. They just, uh, they said with the wind chill and everything, they worried about kids walking to school and stuff. And I, I remember when I was little, that that never happened. Right. <laughs> like, never. Right. So, right. I think that may have something to do with the times as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, what's uh, what's a current, like, a, a, an average winter like down there? Ma- Missouri weather is something to behold. It uh, It can seem like spring one day. And it can be frigidly cold with ice the next, and so it's it's kind of a wild card. You can't really, yeah. You can't really put your thumb on it, so to speak. It's it's just crazy. Um, we get most of our our nasty stuff like right at the tail end um, yeah. in February and March, and so typically through season we don't get any kind of snow. If we do, we're lucky. Well, yeah. I think it's lucky. Some other people probably don't, but. Uh, yeah. um, Usually, you know, a lot of the hunters around here are griping about it being too warm in November, and then the colder stuff hits late December, and really the the nasty stuff hits in February and March. Gotcha, gotcha. So when the rut hits down there in Missouri, um, my uncle lives in southeast Kansas, right? So not too terribly far from where you're at, if I had to guess. Probably maybe like a two-hour drive, but... um, he says that the rut down there, because he used to live in Iowa, he moved down to uh, or Kansas, and he said he feels like the rut down there is like seven days later than what he feels like the rut is 
is uh, up here, right? And uh, so when would you say is the peak rut where you hunt down there? In my experience, I my best hunting days uh, literally mirror the week before rifle season. So our opener is always on November 15th. Okay. So I would say anywhere from the 5th or 6th all the way up until the 15th. And, and then spilling into a couple of days, you know, into rifle season is just right. the best week to be in the woods. Right. Big deer on their feet. Um, you can get away with being a little bit sloppy because they're, you know, they're a little bit preoccupied. Right. Um I just I just have the most action during that time period. So I would say that's when most of the chasing happens. And gotcha. then I would say the following week is probably when a lot of the breeding happens, I would guess. Gotcha. So my, my question then is uh, when, you know, when you're sitting in a tree stand, you know, during that second week in November, what's the temperature usually like down there in, in the 60s still? No, it's probably a little bit colder than that. I, I would say um, 40s and 50s usually. Okay. And the weather, which I, I really like these days, uh, it tends to be kind of gray and, and cloudy, and, and we usually get a little bit of rain through that week too. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just absolutely love those gray, almost foggy days. I, I tend to have a, a lot of my better sits on those days. I don't know if there is a rhyme or reason for that, but. Yeah. Um, the days where the sky is clear and it's all blue, uh, when I compare those days to like the days where it's kind of nasty and gray, those gray days seems to, they seem to win every time. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes opposite against like what a lot of people say, oh man, you got to have those high pressure days. The high pressure days mean big bucks are on their feet, whatever. So barometric pressure, I don't know how much a guy can really, uh, you know, play into play into that or if it is does affect them one way or another maybe it does maybe it doesn't but uh uh who knows right and it may have something to do too with uh you know those days are usually going hand in hand with a little bit of rain and maybe those you know those big boys that are on their feet uh have learned over the years that there's going to be less people in the woods or something right yeah maybe maybe all right so Mr. Matt Sherman, where you've you've already talked about you live in southwest Missouri, but what do you do for a living? Uh sales manager for Verizon. Verizon. Okay. Yeah. Keeps me pretty busy. Yeah, yeah. So you go into like a cell phone store every day or do you have like an office? No, I, I actually work in a store location. Gotcha. Okay, cool, man. Um man, I just I have a feeling you probably get shit on some days by a customer. Like <laughs> somebody sets their phone up wrong and then you get hammered because of it. Yeah, I feel like uh, <laughs> you get those, those kind of people with any job. I, I've always worked customer facing jobs and uh, you know, it all comes with the territory, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the good side to that is, is I get to talk to almost like uh every person who has a cell phone in my town because we're, we're like the only cell phone provider that really gets out. Yeah. And because of uh, all that traffic that comes in there, I get to talk to a lot of farmers, a lot of ah. hunters. And uh, I've, I've acquired some pretty good permission from uh, conversations that uh, usually start with a, a big buck on the you know background of someone's phone. Hey, where'd you shoot that at? And, you know, those conversations have kind of morphed into some, some pretty good <laughs> hunting spots over the years. So, you are a smart man because I would have, I would do the same exact thing. Yeah. I, in fact, I still, I've probably got too many, too many properties on my plate that I can't uh, check them all out. I've got one that I've really been meaning to get, get out there and uh, get with the old boy and kind of walk around his place after season. But I've just been uh, too wrapped up in scouting other places that I, you know, want to scout. And yeah, absolutely. I can't really hit it all sometimes. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so how old were you when you first got into hunting? Oh, man. So the first memory that I have of hunting, it actually, you know, I can't tell you how old I was. I was little. I was so little that uh, I had to, in order to see over the bed of a truck, I had to climb up on the back and look over. And that's really the first memory I have is we were at a family dinner at my uncle's, and he owned uh, 10 acres. His neighbor owned about 40 and uh, he'd let us run around on that sometimes. But I remember going out there for a family dinner. And uh, when we got out there, I had two uncles that lived on that piece. 
and my dad and my three brothers, and that's about the only family I have in Missouri. And uh, we got out there, and everyone, you know, that's out there already is leaning over the back of this truck looking in. And so I climb up there to see what the commotion's about, and it's a big old doe. And uh, I remember thinking, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And then the next 45 minutes, next hour, something like that, everyone was just sitting around that uh, truck swapping war stories. And I got to hear the story of that doe, and I remember thinking, that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And uh, from that moment on, I was pretty well hooked. And even at a young age like that, you know, I remember uh, the feeling and, and seeing how that brought everyone together and just something I wanted to be a part of. So right. every every year after that until I was old enough for my dad to actually take me out, I was hounding him pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. So do you come from a hunting family, or was it just uh, a couple people in your family hunted? It was really only my uncle. My uncle owned that 10 acres, and he would go out every year. And, you know, he for the most part, he'd shoot one every year. Um, nothing terribly big that I ever remember, but... Um, I, I used to bug my dad so much that he finally started getting into it and boy, we never seen shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was one of those hunters that would go out into the woods with a, a thermos of coffee and a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he really did it for me, which right. I've learned to look back and appreciate, you know, and he did that for my brothers too. And, uh, he just wanted to be out in the woods and spend time with his kids, you know? So it, it was a good time. I look back on that period with, uh, with a lot of laughs and fondness and stuff. And uh, I really didn't start getting into any deer though, until he started dating a girl that had 20 acres and uh, I was old enough where I could kind of start going out on my own and uh, had some encounters, not, not any success at all, but um, those encounters, like a lot of times they'll get my heart beating, you know, just as much or more than the kills, you know, right. You get a big buck in close, even if you can't get the shot due to brush or something like that, like that's a win in my book, you know? Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. So let me ask you this then. Did you start out with a gun or did you jump right into archery? I, I was actually exclusively a gun hunter until about 2013. So okay. pretty mildly recently, actually. How old are you? Uh, turned 30 this year. Okay. 30. So, um, you know, throughout the years of hunting, right? I mean, you, well, let me guess, uh, field edge hunter, blind hunter, like a, like a tower blind, or, uh, did you guys do drives? How, you know, how did the, the approach to gun hunting, right? What was your approach to gun hunting? Uh, mostly it was just me going out on, on my uncle's 10 acres and there wasn't really a lot that crossed through there. So then I started, uh, reaching out to some public land and just like you said, it was a lot of field edge hunting, just sitting on my butt, you know, in some bushes. Yeah. And I remember one year I, uh, I got into this field edge early and, uh, it was probably about seven twenty in the morning. And I just started having a feeling. I was like, this is looking good. This is feeling good. I'm probably going to see something. And I hear some, um, twigs and stuff break into my left. And, uh, here comes a guy, and he's got one of these like folding chair blinds, like he's walking inside of it, you know? Right. And he's walking through some buck brush and it is just like, as he gets closer, it is making the biggest racket I've ever heard in my life. And he doesn't see me and he sits down probably 50 yards away and uh, starts messing with his zippers and probably hasn't been like two minutes later. And then he starts grunting and <laughs> I just remember being so mad. <laughs> I got up and walked out of there, but. Um, it, it was a lot of that type of stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you know, throughout oh. the years of, of being a rifle hunter, uh, did you find success? Yeah, my, yeah, I, I had some success here and there. Nothing consistent. My, my first, uh, gun kill was actually, I think it was 2006. Okay. And my dad lived next to these, uh, guys that ran a, a cattle operation and they, owned and or leased about a thousand acres of land yep and they but they hunted differently they would actually do deer drives by horseback okay and i would go out with them sometimes and push deer you know on a horse or a mule or whatever they'd let me ride and uh after building up a little bit of uh, uh grace with those guys through you know just pushing deer around uh 
one day they, uh, instead of making me drive, you know, they said, why don't you, they kind of guided me down into this bottom that was in between two ridges next to a creek bed or a creek bed. And they said, sit right here and stay there until, you know, the drivers get up to you. And, uh, so I rode a horse down into there and I tied it up and <clears throat> didn't know what to expect. I'd never been on the other end of that, you know, Yep. but the guys on the other end always came out with deer. So I was pretty excited about it. And I remember seeing a buck come barreling over this hill and, uh, he, he probably crossed that bottom wide open. I mean, he was flying, couldn't get a gun on him and I hadn't had a lot of experience anyway, so I wouldn't have taken a running shot, even if I could. And he flew up the other side of that hill and I thought he had went over the top of it. He was moving so fast. And I remember sitting there cussing myself, you know, you should have got on him. You should have been paying attention earlier. You should have probably took a shot at him. Just doing all those things that you do when a, an encounter doesn't go the way you want it to. Right. And then I, I seen something flick out of the corner of my eye and I look back up there and he's just standing there looking at me. Uh, he, he had stopped behind some brush right at the top of that. I thought he'd went over, but he was sitting there looking at me. So I, I had an old 3030 uh, with a Tasco scope on it, just a cheap Walmart one. And uh, threw it up on him and pulled the trigger. And I, I remember thinking I missed him because he just started trotting like nothing was wrong. And then he, it was kind of similar to if you've ever seen a, a intoxicated or a drug person just walk <laughs> and kind of start skipping and fall over, you know? <laughs> He, he did that and uh, fell fell a good chunk of the hill down because it was really steep, and I just remember being super excited. It was a really decent little light pointer, actually. Um, but that that was the first uh, first deer I killed and, and probably the only, the only decent buck I killed up until probably 2017, and it was just by luck. You know, I was in the right place at the right time. Man. That's awesome. That's a good story. But that was that was an experience. Deer drive on horseback. That was yeah. uh, that was something I'll never forget. Man, that's crazy. Um, so, how old were you then? When sounds like fairly recently, right? Uh, how old were you then when you were like, you know what? Well, I want to see what this archery thing's all about. That happened in I think it was two thousand. I think I started getting into bow hunting at the end of 2012. I I met a friend through my wife who uh, went to a deer camp every year, and we, we hit it off. You know, he's a, he's a big deer hunter and a pretty avid bow hunter, and he hunted this big piece of public that I still hunt to this day. It's probably my favorite piece, and it's right. um it's probably six seven hundred acres total. Right. National national forest, you know, but the the chunk that we mess around on is about six seven hundred acres, and there's a river that uh flows through the bottom of it so it's got probably about a mile of river bottoms and then some right. big nasty hills with you know mature timber on it and it's just got every kind of every kind of uh topography or um all, all types of the you know all the types of terrain you want to see and uh he invited me out there one year and that was the year that it, it kind of clicked i was like i really like deer hunting and i, I want to hunt more you know the, the two weeks or three, if you count muzzleloader season that we get with rifle hunting, just really isn't enough. And I remember being at deer camp and all these guys were swapping war stories. And I noticed that uh, the intensity of the stories would go way up when they were talking about bow hunting. And uh, it just seemed like it was something really exciting and, and it would extend the, you know, the time that I got to run around in the woods. And so as fate would have it at the end of that 2012 season, I had a friend of the family that, I don't know if he pissed his wife off or what, but he was trying to sell a bow and he had a really good price on it. So I bought it. I think it was, uh, an old bear, an old right. bear bow. Right. But I bought that and that was kind of the spark that lit that fire there. Um, just started messing around on targets and getting in the woods that following season and messing a bunch of stuff up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let me but ask you, let me ask you this though. Um, like some people take to archery, like, I don't know, like whether they're a good athlete or I don't know. I know some guys who can pick up a bow without anything, like without practicing or doing anything in their dead eye dick automatically. Right. And that's opposite right. of me. Right. I need to get into a routine and shoot and shoot mm. and shoot and shoot to, to be good. Um, 
how, how did you pick up archery? I mean, was it was it easy for you, or did it take some time to to learn everything? Those people you were talking about that are naturally inclined. Yeah, I hate those guys. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is not me at all. Right. Uh, I mean. I would consider myself a moderate shot. I, I really don't like to take anything over 30 yards. And, and that learning curve was slow to me. The, the first hurdle I really had to get over or, or come to terms with is that I cannot, I cannot uh, factor range at all. Right. Like every time I guess, like I, I probably hunted my first two years without a range finder. And I probably went through 14 arrows because I wasn't picky. I was shooting whatever would let me shoot at it, you know. Right. And I missed every single one of them. And I, I had to come to terms with the fact that I was a terrible, terrible judge of range. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm pretty susceptible to uh, buck fever. I get excited and I'll put the wrong pin on them and stuff like that. So. Right, right. It's kind, um, of, it's kind of funny you mentioned no range finder because when I first started bow hunting, <laughs> I didn't have a range finder either. So I, all my pins were like 20 30 40 steps not yards right so i would literally walk from a target and then i would put like i remember one spot i had old paint sticks that i kind of stuck into the ground i i I trimmed the bottom so it was pointy and i put uh paint sticks or i always used to carry like two or three other arrows with me and i'd walk out 20 steps from my blind or my tree stand and poke it in the ground and another 20 or then another 10 and poke one in the ground. And that was my yardage markers for, man, I don't even remember until I finally did get a range finder. I did the exact same thing. <laughs> I just pick up like broken branches and stuff as I was walking to my stand. Yep. And I, I was hunting a field edge one time and I did that. And I think I went out to 30 cause I, I knew I wasn't going to shoot 40. Yep. And I had a, a little buck come out on the field on the opposite side. It was just a small, like, high line size field. And he seen that stick sticking up out of the ground, and he was like, nope, that ain't supposed to be there. <laughs> and uh, I remember him tearing off, and I was like, what happened? Nice. But, yeah, I, I did that same stuff. All right. So, so you had to, you know, it took you a while to get proficient with a bow to the point where, you know, you you, you felt comfortable Um you know, shooting it, how, how long did it take you to, I mean, for you to kill your first deer with a bow? I, about a year. I, uh, I, sh- I was actually able to shoot a deer in 2013. Okay. Your first year. But I never found it. Yeah. I, I never found it though. And it, I, I was only able to shoot it because it literally walked right under my sand. It was a, a basket rack eight point and yeah. it was, um, running with its nose to the ground, you know, in the time of year where they don't pay attention to nothing. Right. And uh, walked right under the stand, and I got excited and put the pin on it and let it go. You know, I, I don't even think, looking back, I really took time to aim. And it was odd. I, I remember it running about 40 yards and stopping and looking back at me. And I was like, did I miss that thing? No way I missed that thing. It was right under me. And it just kind of slowly walked out across this uh, field, across the road. I seen it uh, jump a fence and um, go into this um, really thick creek drainage that kind of uh went through the other side of the property and it's like no way i missed that thing he was i saw the arrow go through it and i got down and looked at the arrow and it had um, some fat on it and some dark blood i think i hit it in the liver or something like that and looking back now i probably could have recovered that thing if i'd have waited but i you know made a rookie mistake and went right after it um never jumped it up but i you know through tracking that i found three or four beds and it just uh tore me up a little bit like it does you know Right. Um, you hate to see that. And then one of my buddies, uh, when we were doing a deer drive at that deer camp I was talking about, actually found found it later. It had went like over a mile. That's how far I had pushed it. And ended up dying in this um, this patch of cedars, probably only about 200 yards from where I last lost blood. Yeah. Okay. So that was disappointing. But the, the following year, um, in between those two years, I started doing a lot of 3D shoots. Okay. And I, I would purposely not bring a rangefinder to them, so I'd have to get good at uh, guessing distance, and that cost me a lot of money with arrows. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, invested in a rangefinder that year, and the next year, and this is actually a super funny story. It was, I think, it was October 14th or so. 
and bucks were starting to think about does. And I had one come in with his nose to the ground, just like the year before, from a different direction. And he stopped, and he was quartering away a little bit at about 40 yards. And I, you know, I'd made a mental checklist, you know, draw the bow back, make sure your hand's where it needs to be, settle the pin, breathe, let it go, did all that stuff. And the arrow deflects and smacks right into the trunk of a big oak tree. Just made the loudest sound you ever heard. And the darn thing ran closer to me. (laughs) So I, I drew back and I put, you know, did the same thing, put the pin on him again, let it fly. Same exact thing happened. Another arrow let loose, went into a sapling that was smaller. Whack, the darn thing ran closer to me. And the third time I was actually able to, you know, I had a pretty clear shot at that time because he wasn't very far. <laughs> you just but, jumped You just jumped out of your tree stand and, and uh, broke his back, right? <laughs> I, that was the next step. I was going to go Rambo on him. But he, he ran off, and I thought I heard him crash, and I got down, and I gave this one some time, you know, I... I have a rule now where I give him at least an hour if I think it was a good hit. If I don't, right. I'll give him two. And I usually like will get down and load all my deer to make sure I don't go right after him. But I, I did all that and had good blood. But it, you know, about the last place I heard him crash, I couldn't find blood. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I finally called my uncle. Um, he came out, and stood at last blood, which was only about eighty yards from where I, the stand was. You know. It was a little bit out of the range of sight, but because there was a little rise in between the stand and that spot, and he's standing there, and he's looking around, and he's looking around, and he goes, he's right there. And he literally crawled up under a brush pile. Um, yeah. I probably walked by him about five times. Man, <laughs> it was, uh, I was I was pretty excited. I think he was a little six point, but uh, that didn't matter to me at that point. You know, it was just uh, an archery kill, and I was ecstatic about it. Yeah, absolutely. So... You know, now that you you were able to taste success with your bow, what did that compare like to rifle? Oh, it was completely different. Like, um, the high, so to speak, that you get from that was just way. I guess the sense of accomplishment is is um, way higher. You know, right? Uh, how close they have to be, especially on a deer like that, where all the factors that can go wrong. You know, right, right. Um. You really can't compare the two. I mean, and I still rifle hunt. You know, I'm out there to kill big deer. And uh, shame on me for saying this, but, you know, if if rifle season went all year, I'd probably have a gun in my hands because I I do not like being able to see big deer and and not getting them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I made made a joke one time with my buddy because, you know, if you get to talking about whitetails and the volume that I'm sure you do and, and I for sure do, people start to look at you crazy that just don't understand it, you know? And uh, I told somebody one year, I was like, if there was a grenade season, I'd probably be out there with one with the pen in my hand, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's just uncomparable. Uh, nothing else like it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's kind of the reason, you know, our I guess our main topic today is you mentioned, you know, you don't like being able to see deer and not kill them, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, so you were, it sounds like you were kind of having trouble getting mm-hmm. close to deer in the first handful of years, right? I mean, if a, if a deer came by in an area, it was kind of just dumb luck. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's a pretty honest depiction of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and, and, and that's the thing, right? And, and the thing, thing is though, you identified this, right? So so what I want to know your thought process about the this aha moment, right? Or where you're just like, man, I keep seeing deer, but I I can't shoot them because they're too far away, right? So let's because the whole point of this is you changed your hunting strategy to to be able to get closer to deer. So why don't you walk right. us through maybe some of those failures that happened or some of the close calls that weren't close enough or or something that you just like, you know what? I got to move. The first, um, the first time that ever, well, I don't know if it was the first time, but one of the ones that comes to mind is, uh, I was walking near this old pond bank that I hunted and it was a stretch of river bottom that didn't have any acorns and where the river bottom started to meet hardwoods, there was always a really good sign. Cause that was the only food 
in that area. And I remember walking by this old pond that I used to hunt by and I, I looked up and it was kind of this like natural funnel in, in this transition. And I, I seen a rub there and it was a pretty big one. And as I started walking up to this rub, there were several uh, scrapes and they were just, some of them were big as a car hood. It seemed like, you know, and I was like, this is the spot. And I didn't think anything about, you know, like looking to see where the prints were coming from or going to, I just threw a stand at it, you know? And I was sitting there one morning and it was about nine or nine thirty, and a, a big buck came through. I have no idea how big he was, but he, he made my heart about jump out of my chest. And I had to sit there and watch him work those scrapes with a bunch of brush in between me and him. And, uh, just tore me up, you know, I, I, and I had a trail camera over those scrapes and I, I got to see just how big, you know, he was and what I was missing out on. And so the next uh, time I got a chance to go in there, I, uh, I got in there early and moved that entire, it was a hang on stand with 20 foot sticks and, uh, I moved it and just made it a hell of a racket. You can't hardly move those things quietly, you know? And I, I never did. See, I hunted that spot, you know, every day over hunted it for sure and wasn't paying any attention to access or anything like that. So I, I'm sure I ran everything uh, out of there. But that was one of the first instances where I was like, there's got to be an easier way to move these things, you know. And then the setup and teardown every year really started eating at me too because I, I was a spot hunter for a long time. Um, I thought I had to find the spot, and if I sat in it enough times, something big was going to walk by. And as I kind of progressed, I was like, I need several spots to go to because I started letting wind play into it and different times of the year, food and stuff like that. So I was like, I, I need several spots. And every time I found a new spot, I would add a new stand and sticks. And it was just hell sometimes to go in there and set them up early season and then to tear them out late season. And so the real aha moment I had was the first, you know, what I consider a bigger buck I killed in 2017 it was a spot, that same spot that I killed my very first deer in with a bow. I'd never seen a big buck in there ever. Um, I put a stand in there early season, and when I came back to hunt it, it was a completely different spot. So there had been a windstorm that came through, and it had just knocked a ton of these big sycamore and birch trees down. And uh, so the area, like where it used to be kind of open and, and river bottom, you know, meadowy looking, it was now like super thick. Uh, a lot of the trees that had fallen down and branches that had fallen down with them, you know, kind of shielded that spot from the road. And a lot of the uh, additional sunlight that was allowed to come through had made the foliage just like triple in there. And I hunted that same spot anyways. And right before dark, I seen a, a really nice buck come through with a smaller buck. And he was about 50 yards away from where they normally crossed in that area. I guess they had just moved their crossing spot down to a more open area where it wasn't as thick, you know? And I was like, okay, I had never seen a, a good deer in that spot before. So I was, you know, extremely happy about it. Well, the next day I had a chance to go in there. I, I moved, you know, I went in there really quietly and I took that ladder stand and I, as quietly as I could set it on the ground and I carried the whole thing on my back. It was a 17 foot ladder stand and I was weaving it in between these small trees, and it took forever because I was trying to be really quiet. And I set it up into this old, this old gnarly, like probably wasn't 10 inches in diameter, but it was the tree that I needed to be in. And uh, it had an old rotten branch, like poking right into my back the entire sit. But it was the tree, you know. So that deer actually came out on that same trail that night, and I was able to kill him. And uh, that coupled with me having to take all those stands out at the end of that season, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, all right, I got to do something about this. And I started researching like ultralight hunting options. Um, and my first dabble into that was saddle hunting. I actually got a, a sit drag and made a DIY setup and got some XOP sticks. And I, I gave that a fair try. Um, I messed with it in the off season. I kept tweaking it and tweaking it. And I hunted about half the season with it. And it, it just wasn't for me. I felt like there was a lot of movement and stuff. And so yeah. I ended up getting the XOP stand uh, to go with the sticks. And I absolutely love that setup. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, wow. through, and this has been like a, a big help to me. Like when I started researching ultralight hunting options, it led me into sites like the Saddle Hunter Forum and the Hunting Beast 
and YouTube channels like the hunting public and stuff like that. And really up my knowledge, you know, another level. And, uh, it was, it was just insane how fast that progressed. Um, and this year, like I was able to look, I got permission to hunt a, a farm with a buddy. He wasn't even going to hunt it. You know, he got permission to hunt it and, uh, he goes, I'll, I'll probably hunt that in rifle season. And we were in that, that peak period where the hunting's really good, you know? And I was like, what are you thinking? Get in there now. And he's like, well, I, I don't have any, any way to hunt it. All, all my stands are out and I, I really don't bow hunt from the ground. And I said, well, I got a, I got a pretty good mobile hunting system. If you've got an old, you know, hang on that you can throw on your back, we'll go in there and check it out. And we were able to look at a topo map and there's one ridge that was running through the property that was bigger than the rest. And we sat up on the downwind side of it as we were walking in. Um, we found a pretty hard use trail running down that side of it with some scrapes in it. We set up in a tree and that picture that I sent you over messenger, um, that pretty heavy horned eight point, yep. we were able to kill him that morning. And, uh, this is insane. It's, I've never seen it and it's never happened before, but we, like, after I killed him, we just stayed there and we were quiet cause we were going to wait on him. And then I, I had a rattle bag that I was messing with and, uh, I hit the rattle bag and we heard a grunt about 10 minutes later and I grunted back at it. And then another deer came in that was just a little bit smaller than the one that I killed. And my buddy was able to arrow him too. So we were able to go in there. That was our second sit on that farm, first sit in that spot, and killed two deer, which was insane. Yeah. But off the ground with the, bow. The, no, not off the ground. We, uh, I took my mobile setup in. Oh, okay. And he was I gotcha. able to, yeah, he was able to beg, steal, or borrow some kind of old aluminum hang-on stand. Gotcha. And we sat in the same tree that morning. Gotcha. gotcha. But I went, that really took me from being like, um, I would see one good, you know, like what I would consider a decent buck a year um since i started mobile hunting like this last year i had 10 encounters with deer that i would have shot or or maybe if i'd have done something a little different could have shot you know like right. 10 encounters with deer that i felt like i was in the game with right and uh it also like forced me to hunt a little bit out of my comfort zone which i did a little bit of that on purpose you know it before where i would look at trees and be like that's too small or i would look at this area and be like that's too thick I would just hunt those areas, you know, it forced me to really take a lot more chances. And, and because of that, I've had a lot more encounters and stuff like that. But right. the story behind that, it all started with that 2017 buck, you know, where I was carrying that ladder stand on my back and I just couldn't believe, you know, at the, at the end of the night, when that one came together, couldn't believe that it had happened. You know, I literally came in there, took a ladder stand, put it on my back, moved it to this tree. And, I, and, you know, I had hoped it would work, but in the back of my mind, I was like, this is never going to work. I never see these deer twice, you know? Right, right. But uh, but it did, you know, and that was just the aha moment. Like, you can move in and kill these things, you know, as long as you don't let them know that you're there. Right, right. And I'm sure putting up a ladder stand isn't necessarily the quietest thing in the world. No. Right? So I feel like... You know, there's a, there's a lot of guys that go into, you know, quieting their their stands. Like they use the the, the stealth strips, they use uh, the the paracord, they use like other other things to to make their stand quiet. Like, man, I don't know, but I don't make too much noise setting up my gear, and I don't have any quietness. Like I don't even have any sound dampening. Uh, added to it at all so uh it it's uh it's amazing what you can get away with in the timber right i i i don't think unless you're setting up like 50 yards from some like from a bedded deer i think that you can get away with a little noise even just a little noise right because yes they have great hearing but they don't have like superman hearing you know what i mean Right. And, and unless they smell you, like unless your access is bad, they're going to let you get away with a little bit of that noise, I feel like. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, what are some of the other type of things that really, you know, from, from a bow hunting standpoint, what are some of the other, I guess, big time failures that you were able to learn from and potentially capitalize from? 
Hmm. So this is one, and and you dabble a lot with trail cameras, so you might uh, be able to shed some light on this too. But first of all, I'm going to preface this by saying I hate trail cameras. Uh, I, I have a love-hate relationship with them. I, I've had a lot of them get stolen. I've had the sensitivity so high that it filled up the card taking pictures of a bush that was moving in front of it. Right. Um, I've had one file on a card uh, go corrupt and uh, not let me view any of the pictures on it. So I, I've had some things with trail cameras that have put a bad taste in my mouth with them. But one thing that I found that they're extremely helpful for is uh, I have a lot of uh, luck putting them over scrapes. And some people may agree with this. Some people don't. But year after year, I get pictures of same deer, different deer, doesn't matter. November 9th is, is a day like this for me, but November 9th, I've got a tree with a scrape by it that I would bet my entire paycheck there's going to be a big buck walk under and check that scrape every day. At, or, I'm sorry, that day every year at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't got to hunt that tree these, these last couple of years because I've killed a buck before that date. But all the years leading up prior to that, um, I've had that happen. So I've had failures in the past where I didn't pay attention to data like that. Um, yeah. and, and I left that stand in that spot instead of scooching it over just because I thought that was the spot to be in. Um, a lot of the failures, too, have came from, you know, just learning how to properly access a property and um, – paying attention to wind. You know, I used to be one of those guys that thought I could spray a little bit of scent away on my uh, suit and get away with anything. Um, this last year, I didn't use any, any scent, you know, cover-ups or attractants or anything like that. I just played the wind and, you know, so a lot of the, the failures have come from stuff like that, but I, it's hard to think of an individual instance. There's been so many where, you know, I've had a buck coming in and uh, he'll just turn around and run for no reason. And looking back, you know, the predominant wind for that area says that he smelled me or, and I, and I'm still, you know, going through learning thermals and things like that. But, um, you know, some of the, some of the biggest failures I've had have, have just been uh, not being aggressive enough. You know, right. I've, I've sat in a stand where I've watched a buck move through and, uh, I've kept that stand there and set it in again. And then I'll, you know, watch him move through that area again. And then the third time I would move that stand over there. And of course he would never come through. You know how that game goes. Yep. Yep. Um, so I've just, I've just learned that if you see something, you have to act on it right then. Yeah. Um, you can't wait or play it safe or, you know, if you, if you see it, you got to go after it right then. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, the moral of the story is you've become a little bit, you know, you've become mobile in your approach, right? You've, you make decisions at a quicker pace and because of that, you have encounters with these, you know, higher age class or higher caliber, we'll just say caliber deer. Um, going into the 2019 season, like, what's your goal? So I've, I've really never had any good encounters with a, a buck early season. So I'd like to put in enough scouting in the postseason that I, I've got uh, – you know, by finding acorn trees and, th and, you know, trails and stuff like that, then I'm able to get on a buck early season. Um, and I want to, I want to learn, you know, as much as I can about thermals and stuff like that. I'd say my biggest goal is, you know, I, I like to have 20 spots that I can go to uh, based on conditions. I'm up to about 15 right now. As soon as season uh, ended this year, I, I started scouting pretty hardcore. And um, I'm up to about 15 spots. So between now and turkey season, if I can get five more, I'll be sitting pretty good. Uh, something that's really been weighing on my mind, too, is I'm getting to a point now where I'm seeing a little bit of consistent success. And, and by no means do I think I'm a, a good or, or great hunter. But I am getting to a point where I can uh, start to help others uh, have some success, you know. I'm thinking of, about picking up an, an additional hang-on and some of my buddies that are having trouble you know, getting the hang of some of that stuff. I'd like to, in 2019, help some of my other friends and some family members see some of that success too. Wow. So that's been weighing on me a little bit as well. Um, yeah, that's very you know, generous. I, and I'd, yeah, I'd really like to uh, introduce someone to hunting that hasn't either. Um, a lot of the friends I have and, you know, a lot of the guys I run with are already hunters, but that'd be a goal of mine too is to get someone who isn't into bow hunting, like maybe convert a uh, 
a rifle hunter over or and not convert him you know from stopping rifle hunting completely but uh you know showing him the advantages and and how much more time you get when you bow hunt and stuff like that because you know when you when you finally decide to jump in and take that leaf and and you know you get your first encounter with a deer with a bow there, there's just nothing else like it I, I don't think you can compare it so absolutely absolutely well that's awesome man well congrats on your recent success right and uh you know the the whole understanding and still learning right because even as mobile as i am i continue to be more mobile every single season i i still learn something every single season right sometimes even every single hunt right and uh, i know that you're going to be doing the you know you know eyes wide open gathering as much data as humanly possible and uh Congrats on uh, the current, the the recent success, and good luck this upcoming season, man. Yeah, you as well, Dan. Thanks for uh, taking time to hop on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a any chance I get to talk whitetails, I'm I'm always excited about that. So, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Huge shout out to Mr. Matt Sherman. Thank you very much for hopping on the podcast and chatting with us today. Huge shout out to all of you the listeners of this podcast thank you very much for tuning in on a regular basis man i really appreciate it uh shout out to all you guys huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast ozonics wasp lone wolf deer lab prime ripcord hunter safety systems guys uh, if it wasn't for these companies this wouldn't be happening so please go out and support those companies man i really appreciate it if you haven't already check out iTunes, go leave a review, right? Subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, either on the standalone feed or uh, through the Sportsman's Nation Whitetail feed. That's where you can find it. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, not only for Nine Finger Chronicles, but for the Sportsman's Nation as well. Be sure to follow along, like, click, share, do all that social media crap. And uh, other than that, man, If you're going to be in a tree, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week.